Good afternoon, this is Joss Garman and this is Deep Fried Planet on Resonance FM, that's 104.4 FM. The introduction track there you might have recognised from David Attenborough's Life on Earth, which is the, um, it's the scene where the ferns unfold and ferns have, over thousands of years, contributed to the world's fossil fuel deposits. And that's my tenuous link into today's programme. We're going to be talking about fossil fuel subsidies, big handouts that go to big oil, and big coal. And it's particularly ironic because one of the most tragic things about the BP spill in the Gulf of Mexico is that Americans actually helped to pay for it. Over the next 10 years, the Obama administration reckoned that if they phased out the subsidies of taxpayers' money that they give to fossil fuel industry, it would save America $45 billion. And actually, a senator <coughs> tried to bring a bill recently which would have cut $35 billion of those $45 billion of subsidies, and it was defeated quite unanimously by the Senate, which just kind of shows the stranglehold that big oil have over the Senate. The senator who tried to the, bring the bill said, 22% of the children in this country live in poverty. We have record-breaking deficits. We have a $13 trillion national debt, and yet ExxonMobil receive $156 million in a tax refund after they made $19 billion of profit. Well, it's not just in America that these huge subsidies go to the fossil fuel industry. Um, and the UK, in the last couple of weeks, has found itself, the UK government has found itself in the media for something similar. There's a few different ways that UK taxpayers end up propping up the fossil fuel industry right around the world and dirty and polluting projects. One of those ways is through the World Bank, and you may have read about the Madupi coal plant in South Africa. This would have been the third most polluting coal plant in the world. And yet, ironically, ESCOM, the South African coal plant, were trying to apply to the World Bank to get money from our aid budget to build it. Uh, and it was actually going to cost ordinary South Africans, because it was a loan, they would have to pay it back through their bills over the next few years. And it was all to provide extremely cheap electricity to South Africa's coal mining industry. But it's not just through the World Bank, it's also through the Export Credit Guarantee Department of the British government, which was recently exposed in The Guardian in the last um, week or so, for using our money to support offshore drilling off the coast of Brazil. This is deep water drilling. In fact, it's deeper than what was happening in the Gulf of Mexico. And it's the biggest offshore oil project in the world. And, uh, and it's being, we're helping to pay for it through our taxpayers' money. But perhaps most extraordinarily, our money through the UN, and specifically through the Kyoto Protocol, which is the only international law on climate change, is actually funding coal projects around the world through something called the Clean Development Mechanism. Um, so money that's meant to go into clean energy projects in the developing world is ending up going to coal plants. And The Guardian revealed this week that 20 different coal stations around the world are receiving this money. Well, joining me to talk about this is Sarah Jane Clifton, who works on international climate change for Friends of the Earth. Are you there, Sarah? Hi. Hi, Josie. I'm here. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Um, so can you tell me a bit more about the Madupi plant in South Africa? Because this was particularly controversial, no? Yeah, sure. Um, well, the Madupi um, is basically a, a massive planned coal-fired power plant in Limpopo in South Africa. 
Um, it's set to be the fourth largest power plant in the world, and it has actually been awarded a World Bank loan. It was um, awarded $2.7 billion recently, um, despite the US, UK, Netherlands, and Norway abstaining from the, the World Bank vote. Um, but like you said, it's absolutely outrageous because it's, it's public money going to, to finance um, coal power, um, uh, um, you know, high-carbon development um, in South Africa. Um, and the South African government argued that, you know, the purpose for building the power station was um, its, sort of its baseload energy supply. So they're arguing that, um, obviously, there's a lot of people in South Africa who still don't have access to any energy at all, and that their reasoning for building the power station is to actually expand um, energy access to... Yeah, presumably, this is the sort of argument that the, the American and the British governments would have made about the loan that sure. it's helping to ordinary South Africans. Absolutely, but if you look um, more closely, that argument doesn't stand up at all. So um, most of the electricity that's going to come from the DP is actually going to go to the extractive industries, to the mining companies in South Africa, most of which are actually um, you know, owned by uh, big Western companies. Um, and those companies have, have got uh, special pricing agreements with, with the government, which were actually agreed under the apartheid regime. Um, and which will provide massively reduced um, energy prices to the extractive industries, the big mining companies. Um, so how has this come? How, how has this whole thing come to be? I mean, you have the Kyoto Protocol, which everyone thinks of as a pretty good thing, because um, you know, obviously, everyone knows about it from when Bush refused to sign up to it. It's the only yeah. international law on climate change. Big part of it is transferring money to the developing world for clean energy projects. Yeah. So how did this whole system come to be? Well, that's another, that's another sort of uh, a second, another more complicated link to um, public money and public efforts to sort of tackle climate change globally. So not only has Madipi got a World Bank loan, it's also now able to apply for credit from what you mentioned before, the Clean Development Mechanism. Um, and that's uh, uh, what's called a flexibility mechanism under the Kyoto Protocol. It's basically um, something that's set up to allow rich countries to, to essentially get out of their commitments to reduce their emissions under the International Climate Agreement. It's, a, it's an offsetting mechanism. So yeah. this is carbon offsetting in the same way that if you get on a plane and you pay a company to plant trees, it's like that but at a sort of government-to-government -government level. Exactly, it's exactly that. So it's offsetting is basically paying someone else to reduce your emissions, their emissions so that you don't have to. So like you said, it happens at a number of levels. It happens, we've seen a big expansion of personal offsetting, which is where people pay a bit of extra for a flight. It actually happens at a much bigger scale at the government level. So the EU, for example, is planning to offset, um, I think, between a half and two-thirds of its planned emissions reductions from 2013. So, it's so when people think, say, under the Climate Change Act in Britain, uh, where the UK government's committed to cut the UK's emissions by 80% by 2050, uh, as a result of the campaign that Friends of the Earth, your organisation, ran. When they say they're going to do that, what they're actually planning to do is pay other people to reduce their emissions. Yeah, exactly. At least at least half of it. The UK government's a little bit better than some of the other EU governments, but essentially, offsetting's a con. It's, um, it's encouraging businesses and consumers to carry on polluting when actually we all know we urgently need to reduce our emissions really, really rapidly. But still, I guess, yeah. in the same way that when people pay for an offset for their flight, say, they're paying for a tree planting scheme. I guess people don't think that their money, when they pay into these offset funds, is going towards, you know, coal-fired power stations in Africa. Absolutely not, not at all. I mean, there's really, really big problems um, 
with the actual project level of setting schemes, like as you said, a lot of it's going um, to coal-fired power stations. Overall, only about two percent of the money through the clean development mechanism is is um, going to renewable energy. So small-scale renewable energy products, which are actually supporting people in the developing world and having access to electricity, most of it is actually going to very big uh, manufacturing companies and paying them to um, reduce very, very cheap um, uh, gases like HFCs. There's a lot of companies that are just making a, a lot of profit out of this mechanism. There's actually a much, much bigger problem of offsetting overall. Um, it's not only is it kind of it's bad for our economy here in the UK, it's completely unfair on developing countries, but overall it means that we're just globally not going to be able to reduce our emissions fast enough and um, overall by, by enough to actually avoid catastrophic climate change. So um, it's a, how, how do we know that when we're paying for these projects to reduce emissions in these places that these projects weren't going to happen anyway? And also, is anyone checking up to see if they're actually doing these things? Uh, we, we don't. I mean, increasingly there are, um, there are scandals coming through about what's actually happening. So there is... Um, uh, in the search which came out, I think, last week, which said that up to a third of the credits for the clean development mechanism could have been illegitimate. So actually generated by, by firms who were increasing the amount of greenhouse gas they were actually emitting so that they could then be paid to destroy them. We don't know, we don't know that at all. But like I said, at a much bigger level, the offsetting problem is, is it's even really bad for our economy here in the, in the UK because we know that in tackling climate change, we need to make really rapid structural transformation of our economy. We have to get ourselves off fossil fuel use as quick as possible, off coal and petrol. We need to change our unsustainable agricultural and industrial practices. And actually, what offsetting is doing, or the offsetting mechanism, is encouraging us to do the opposite. It's actually you know, slowing down the changes which are ultimately going to help us tackle climate change. It's, it's actually you know, preventing us from getting all the benefits of moving to a greener like economy. Green jobs like all the green jobs, the hundreds of thousands of jobs that are there to be had in energy efficiency and in renewable, renewables. And then it's also completely unfair on developing countries. So, so what do you think is going to happen? I mean, this has obviously been... Uh, Kyoto was signed in 1997, so it's really old now. And everyone met, obviously, in Copenhagen to negotiate the next climate treaty. Yeah. What's going to happen with all these big mechanisms, do you think? Well, you see, the, um, despite all these problems with offsetting, you see the EU is pushing really, really hard in the international climate negotiations to actually expand offsetting. So there are new proposals for new types of mechanisms, not just the clean development mechanism, but these, these mechanisms called sectoral crediting and sectoral trading. So the rich countries like the EU are pushing even further to have these big loopholes which allow them to get out of actually reducing their emissions at home and put the burden of tackling climate change on the developing countries. But there's, a, there's another bigger problem, which is actually, even though the Kyoto Protocol is really problematic and it has all these loopholes, it is actually, the, like you said at the beginning, the only mechanism we've got which places legally binding commitments on rich countries. And you've seen um, the US and, and Canada and Australia and other countries now trying to actually dismantle that whole architecture. So globally, we don't even have a system which puts requirements um, and, and, and mechanisms of compliance with those requirements to reduce emissions. So our global effort to tackle climate change would basically be the um, country saying, well, I think I can do this, I might have a go, and nothing that actually makes them do that. So, so, so you're saying that whilst the Kyoto Protocol has all these loopholes and is kind of deeply problematic, ultimately, yeah. if we got rid of it, as the Americans and others want to do, there just wouldn't be any. Yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely, absolutely. So that doesn't mean that we, we don't need to address the loopholes. We really need urgent action to, to actually, you know, prevent the offsetting that's happening, um, halt the expansion of, of carbon trading and, and other big loopholes which are appearing. But we need to build on the architecture that countries have put in place. There's been, you know, negotiating on climate change since 1992, and, and actually rather than going back and undermining all of that, which is what we're seeing mainly the U.S., driving at the forward at the moment we need to actually just build on it great thank you very much for joining us sarah okay no worries cheers bye yes, bye so some of you who are reading the financial times uh, some of you who were reading the Financial Times this week might have seen that our own climate minister, Chris Hewn, is saying that Europe should up its target for, uh, from a 20% cut in carbon emissions on 1990 levels by 2020 to a 30% cut. And he, he made that call along with the French and German climate ministries. But uh, I understand that through these offsetting carbon trading mechanisms we were just talking about, if the, e the EU was to go for a 30% cut and to increase its ambition, because of the loopholes, these offsetting loopholes, and there's one in particular where, whereby we pay for um, forests to be planted um, at, and that awards credits to countries, but then if those forests are then chopped down and they call it sustainable forest management, then they don't take the credits away. So it's, it's kind of like Enron accounting, but with global carbon credits. And so there's all these loopholes to be sorted out uh, in the negotiations following Copenhagen. But anyway, we began by talking about fossil fuel subsidies, and in particular, this money that's been going to coal plants in Africa, offshore oil drilling in Brazil and elsewhere. And a couple of weeks ago at the G20 agreement, Barack Obama was pushing that we should get a plan to phase out these subsidies. And David Cameron assured us that the UK would fully sign up to that agenda. But we understand now, and Johan Hari has written about this in Today's Independent, that the government here are planning to open up more areas of uh, offshore drilling in the UK, in particular off the west of Shetland, an area that has particularly sensitive whale and dolphin populations. And George Osborne is talking about offering new tax breaks uh, for the oil industry to, to try and encourage them to go there, uh, which is kind of ironic in this age of austerity when we're all told that we can't afford our schools and we can't afford our hospitals, and today clean energy budgets being cut. Well, we're going to have a brief interlude and then we're going to come back and speak to Colin Hines, who's the author of Localization, a Global Manifesto. And he's also uh, sits on the board of the Green New Deal group with the economics editor of The Guardian, Larry Elliott, and Caroline Lucas, the leader of the Green Party. So we'll speak to him about clean energy investment just after this interlude.
It's the 16th of July. You're listening to Deep Fried Planet on Resonance FM. That's 104.4 FM. This is Joss Garman. And we were just talking about how British and American taxpayers' money is handed to big oil companies and big coal companies around the world who are effectively subsidised to the tune of a staggering $550 billion a year and how Obama has a plan to phase out these fossil fuel subsidies. Um, but at the moment, they're continuing through various different loopholes and international organisations. Well, today in the Financial Times, there's a report that the government, who uh, you'll remember David Cameron said this was going to be the greenest government ever on his first day in office, are planning to cut the clean energy budgets for offshore wind farms and renewable heat and all sorts of other clean energy projects in the UK. And this is at the same time uh, that they're subsidising the oil companies and trying to encourage them to come and do more drilling off the coast of Britain. Well, joining me now is Colin Hines, who's the author of Localisation, a Global Manifesto, and he sits on the Green New Deal group. Hi, Colin. Hi, Josh. So this is pretty bad news, isn't it, about the clean energy budgets getting cut, because they were pretty negligible already, weren't they? Yes, it sends out really an appalling signal, and it's just part and parcel of of this coalition government, which basically is is sleepwalking into an economic calamity. I mean, they're basically cutting public expenditure, cutting jobs, with a fantasy expectation that the private sector will march in and bravely save the day. It won't. The private sector is desperately dependent on public sector money. So what you're going to get, you're going to get rising unemployment through the public sector cuts, uh, having a huge knock-on to rising unemployment in the private sector. Now, we've been here before. We've been in the 1930s, the situation when there was an economic downturn and government said, oh, we've got to balance budgets, cut, etc., etc. And we all know what happened then. And it was only the recognition that coordinated government expenditure through the New Deal was the way out. And it got them a good bit out of the last depression. What we talk about in the Green New Deal is a recognition that the updated version of that is not building dams and roads so much, but actually saving energy and um, making renewables more important. Now, the reason this recent announcement that the government is cutting back uh, on any kind of financial help with renewables or energy efficiency, the reason that's so disastrous is because we need not just public expenditure, but we also need private savings and private money like pension funds to come into this huge make-work program. And so the government sort of, all, as you said, anyway, fairly small pump-priming ways to try and get the energy sector kicked off into something stronger is being pulled back. And it's, it's the most appallingly short-sighted example of, of, of making a bad situation worse. So when you say that um, the public taxpayer should help try and leverage this private capital is this i mean i know that just at the end of the labor government alistair darling announced 60 million pounds to upgrade the ports in britain to try and accommodate for the offshore wind industry uh, i understand that money is now in doubt um, but ultimately it's only 60 million quid which in the grand scheme of things isn't very much money is it it's not but i think what we 
we'll have to realise is that things are going to get very much worse before they get going to get any greener and better. I think what will happen is there will be a very severe economic downturn over the next few months, and then the coalition government will realise that the only way to stop rising unemployment and hence bigger benefit bills and hence a bigger deficit um, is to reignite the economy. Um, and then those rather desultory figures that you mentioned will have to be much bigger, as they were in, in the New Deal. You will need to put substantial amounts of, mu of public money in, but that public money can act as a guarantee to bring in huge amounts of pension fund money. Because remember, pension funds want a secure long-term return on their money. And where can they put it at the moment? In property? I don't think so. The stock market? I don't think so. So a more rational thing to do is to invest it into a, into a, a nationwide attack on energy inefficiency. What we talk about in the Green New Deal is funding and training a carbon army to crawl over every building in Britain making it energy efficient and and with new renewables. That would, will save you money you in energy terms, protect the environment, but perhaps politically, most importantly, generate jobs where people live and make no bones about it. It is tackling unemployment is going to become the obsession of this present reckless and short-sighted coalition government. And do you think, I mean, the, the pensioners in Britain, through their pension funds, lost a lot of money with the spill in the Gulf of Mexico. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, especially conservative newspapers in this country have been highlighting that fact more than any other. Do you think that in light of that, we're likely to see pension funds looking more seriously at the clean energy industry? I think they're, they're asleep at the wheel. Um, advisors and trustees have been shocked out of their sort of, oh, they're all good chaps in the city, we just you know, do what they tell us, and are beginning to realise that they've got their own responsibility to make sure that their pensions, pensioners don't have their future cut by investing in yesterday's technologies uh, rather than looking to where the future is. And the future is going to be saving energy through energy efficiency and generating it in a non-fossil fuel way through renewables. Uh, that has to be the way the, the economy will run, and that therefore has to be where pension funds have to invest. So I think the, 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 the way forward is clear. At the moment, you have a uh, Alice in Wonderland coalition government telling us on the one hand we can cut public expenditure, on the other the private sector will boldly advance and save us all. That will not happen. There will be a severe economic downturn. Then they finally will start doing what they ought to do now. So investing what? in more more and effective energy system. So with, uh, with the private sector increasingly looking at, at clean energy, but nowhere near to the sort of unprecedented scale and investment that we need to decarbonise the power sector and also just keep the lights on. Um, why aren't the private sector investing if there's so much money to be made in these new low-carbon markets? Because they're looking for some sort of sense of security, and this is where the government can put in relatively small amounts of money, you know, hundreds of millions, in order to guarantee the the 
private investment because occasionally if you have you know 10 15 20 projects occasionally one will go belly up it won't work properly the other 19 will but you therefore need some guarantee that in the event of of one or two of them going wrong then the private investors will get their money back um, and so that's the importance of, of government money acting as a guarantor it's one of its key roles to to suck in private money desperately looking for somewhere to go that's that's safe sensible and has a long-term future so that's why that that's the role of the government isn't to pay for everything but it is to provide a backstop guarantee to bring in large amounts of private money to actually actually help fund the the huge transition we need to make but let's remember that transition will generate huge amounts of business opportunities and job opportunities which will generate more taxes which will help pay for the whole system so it's a virtuous green cycle going upwards whereas at the moment we've got an ever less unvirtuous downward cycle of the present coalition policies but George Osborne um, and the business secretary, Vince Cable, have both committed to a green investment bank, although at the moment it looks like it'd be the first bank created with no money in it. Um, yeah. I wonder, I mean, you wrote the book Localisation, the Global Manifesto, and it seems, you know, the Tories talk a lot about localisation, and it seems, well, a lot of commentators talk about how the government's plan is to kind of decentralised responsibilities to councils and then cut their money so that they can't actually deliver on the services and the councils get the blame rather than the government. But do you think there's a way in which local authorities and local councils can kind of bypass the government when it comes to investment in new green jobs and clean technologies? Well, they could, they could do that if the government enabled them and encouraged them to have local authority bonds, which is where local people can invest in local infrastructure and get a, a guaranteed, perhaps not dramatic, but at least a return over time. And that's going to be, I think, a large potential. This can be both large-scale money from pension funds, but also you could, you could have, you know, granny goes green bonds, daddy goes green bonds, kitty goes green bonds, sold at the post office. Um, so you actually have a kind of a safe return, but your money goes into something that both protects the environment, but most importantly, also generates jobs locally. And this can also be a way to have a bit of generation, intergenerational solidarity, to use a clunky word. That is, older people's savings providing potential for jobs for younger people looking for work. So instead of the present trend that young people say, oh, the oldies have got all the money, they're not helping us. The oldies are looking for, or well, not oldies, this older people are looking for a safe boomers. haven for their savings. This is a route to both protect the environment and generate jobs, and those jobs could be particularly targeted at young people. So where do you think the new coalition government, uh, what, what section of the economy do you think they want to grow? You know, what's going to be the new cornerstone? If, if, city, if the city and finance and North Sea oil with a cash cow before, and they're not going to go into clean energy, as these signals kind of indicate, then where do you think they are looking to get the growth from? I don't think they... They're living in cloud cuckoo land. They'd never say where it's coming from. They just assert the private sector will rise. High-tech future, 
train for the you know for for this and that and the other but it's never very specific and this is the difference between the government's fantasy hopes that somehow an unspecified unnamed undocumented private sector will come in versus the green new deal which talks about specific ranges of jobs turning every building making every building energy efficient we know how to do that we know the business opportunities we know the range of skills we know the jobs we just need the government to wake up that that is in fact the only way out of the double dip recession they're dragging us all into well colin thanks for joining us we're going to have to leave it there thanks very much okay pleasure bye bye so this was deep fried planet on resonance fm and that's all for this week uh, we've got 10,000 wind turbines to build between now and 2020 and no money to do it. We shall see. Mm-hmm.